0: I actually went to this like Redwood retreat, I think I mentioned, and was journaling. And the mantra that I got back was, what I need to do is simple. Love our customers, love our employees, love our community. It's all about love. And if I do that every day, we're going to get somewhere. And then I need to build on culture, but I have no idea how to do it. And I realized I'm stuck. The company's stuck because I'm stuck. I've not been growing as a leader. I've been rooted in an old identity as a serial entrepreneur. And I need to embrace identity as a leader building an enduring company with a healthy culture so i just went and found every mentor i could find every book i could find because i realized i need help and i actually would say all great change starts with that realization
1: every week here on more than profit we explore the stories of leaders entrepreneurs and investors who have made a difference in the world while building successful businesses We sit down with each guest and dive into their personal journeys, their struggles and triumphs, and the lessons they've learned along the way. On this episode, we sit down with Andrew LaFoon, co-founder and CEO of Mixbook. Andrew began his career in 1997 as an independent web developer, creating websites and developing flash demos, a custom content management system, and corporate websites. It was in 2006, after graduating from UC Berkeley, that he and a friend co-founded Mixbook, an online design tool for creating photo books, cards, calendars, and wall art. What has been interesting about his story is that after 17 years at the helm, he recognizes that what he is building is much more than a technology product to help people organize their photos, but a company that impacts people and community through storytelling and the power of human connection, that their number one purpose is to help people connect with the people they love. Listen in as we talk about everything from his early accolades and the plans for a typical Silicon Valley startup story to his epiphany around building a company based on culture.
2: Tell me about some of the awards you've won over the years, because I know you've uh, you're well decorated. What are some of the awards you won?
3: Well, you know, I don't want to boast, but uh, when I was in high school, I was voted most. Conservative and most liberal. So, <laughs> <laughs> which if
2: listeners don't know Bryce Butler, they're like, "It is true about you. That's actually very true. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard about anyone."
3: Yeah, it was pretty weird. But uh, but those were the two I won. Uh, well,
2: yeah, and, I'm also and a Kentucky
3: you... Colonel. You know, as you like to point out. Which,
2: again, it's not a real title. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what's so weird to me is like, I know you didn't pay for it, but it seems like that's a that's a title people pay for. Well, you know, so, it has a long
3: history. You know, you should look it up. It's pretty...
2: Well, no, I, I have looked it up. I have looked it up. So, <laughs> what, so what again, I,
3: what what, well, what awards have you won?
2: Again, I'm like you. I hate tooting my own horn. But yeah, I, I was best dressed, biggest flirt, and that most likely to lose my virginity <laughs> when... <laughs> That was that was when I was pretty young. I went to a seminary where I, I won the Leadership Award. I mean, I'm well-decorated. I mean, yeah, I've got are. a lot of yeah. papers that I could bust out right now, and I should have them behind me, but people couldn't see it anyways. But Well, it just would our, fill
3: the wall behind you. Well, so.
2: well, our guest today, so this is, I mean, we try to bring people in that have won a lot of awards, and we have Andrew LaFoon with us this morning. So so Andrew is the founder of Mixbook, is that correct?
0: Mm-hmm founder CEO so, and I had a have a co-founder
2: as well let, for, that person's not here so let's take all the credit that's what we do here <laughs> on more than profit so <laughs> poor person's not even here so so let, let's talk about let's talk about your did you ever win any awards in high school I
0: was mostly homeschooled so yeah I got all the awards
2: <laughs> okay this is going horribly wrong right now so, so. Well, I mean, so,
3: but you went from homeschool to uh, UC Berkeley. I mean, that's a pretty prestigious path. So, I mean, that's an award in and of itself.
2: That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, it always helps when your mom probably got you in there. So, again, that's not anything. That's not an award on that one either. But, yeah. but so I, I, I am curious. So, what's an award you've won for your business?
0: Ooh, well, of late we've won the number one best culture for startups from Built In. And number one rated photo book from New York Times and many others. And the, so there was plenty in the earlier times too, Inc. 30 Under 30, America's Most Promising Companies, this type of thing.
2: Wow. And so <laughs> that's, that's actually, so you go from zero to hero like that. That's pretty amazing.
0: Well, yeah, it was an overnight success. You know, we just started the company and three days later we were winning awards. Just, you know, the way it should be.
2: For, for real, be. three days later you really were.
0: Three days, 17 years, give or take.
2: Okay, yeah. that's that makes a lot more sense. So get us back on track here, Bryce. So so we have so we have Andrew. Give give a little introduction of who Andrew is.
3: Well, I mean, he's already said it. He's the founder and CEO of Mixbook, which which actually was going to be one of my questions because it's actually quite unusual. You you literally graduated from UC Berkeley, probably I don't know, maybe a year in between, but then started Mixbook, and you've been there for seventeen years. That's right. One that's unheard of anywhere, but specifically in tech like the fact that you founded a company and you've been there now for the last 17. What's that experience been like for you? I mean, obviously, I'm, I would imagine when you came out of UC Berkeley, Silicon Valley was booming with technology startups and just this idea of build fast and sell. So I'm sure like when you first started, that was probably your your mindset. Like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna kill this thing. We're gonna do it for a couple of years. And here we are 17 years later. So what, what's that experience been like for you?
0: Yeah, that was definitely the mindset in Silicon Valley of your going for a long time, either you have ipo and had become super famous, or you're a zombie company. You're kind of the walking dead. And there were there were some years where it felt like that. But when we started the company, we had this dream. We had a big idea, which was to democratize storytelling and to democratize creativity. And that was really exciting. But even so, we thought, we're going to start the company, we're going to raise money, and we're going to sell it in three to five years. And we're going to make a ton of mistakes. And then we'll start a new company and we'll do better. Turns out, instead of doing that, I just continued to fix mistakes
2: at the current company. That makes a lot of sense, though.
3: But I think one of the things that's really interesting is in that journey, obviously, you had this, this mindset from the early kind of influence of Silicon Valley and just kind of technology in general. But how have your desires for your own life and, the, and your desires for Mixbook changed in that time period?
0: Dramatically. 22 year old Andrew was a lot more focused on, I mean, I always wanted to make an impact that comes from my background. My dad's a pastor, his dad's a pastor. And I always thought the job of a leader is to impact people in a positive way. But when I got into entrepreneurship, it's very easy. I'm an engineer. So I was enamored with the technology. I was enamored with the idea of making a global scale impact. And when we started getting all these awards, you know, you mentioned awards and I kind of like have to shake off the nervousness because when we got all those awards the first time inc 30 under 30 and forbes america's Most promising companies it got to my head i actually took Mm -hmm. it to my ego and i felt like i'm something now because of these awards of course as it turns out the awards don't actually add anything to you but i did let them add something to me and it was not good and (laughs) i realized okay my desire for pride and identity and security coming from my work is so destructive. We made a lot of bad decisions. I hired a lot of the wrong people, had to do a big layoff. We had these crazy expectations, way too big, made a lot of bad mistakes and luckily grew through it. But it took about three, four, five years in a wilderness to actually learn those hard lessons and accept some humility.
3: Yeah.
2: So, how does that affect? Like, how did that manifest? Like, so if that really, so you, you know, you said I took it, I took it to my ego. So, you get those awards. How are you? Like, how does it manifest? Like, how do? You, how does it? Is it the way you act at home? The way you're treating employees? The way you just look at yourself in the mirror? How did that? Like, how did that happen?
0: You know, it wasn't that I treated people disrespectfully. That was. That's just not me. It was yep. more of trying to surround myself with people who looked good in, in a sense of looking at the resume, like, oh, look at this person. They were the CMO of this company. They were the CTO of that company. That's a person I need to have. And we're going to get press about it. And we're going to get more famous about it. And I'm going to attract even more great people. And being surrounded by the great people makes me feel like I'm great. And then the Mm -hmm. second, actually, for me, gosh, what's weird about this is the more you get those awards... But then things are not all going the way you think. Pride and insecurity are weirdly related. We have pride Mm -hmm. on the outside, but inside it's an insecurity. And so for me, that manifested to not actually being a very effective leader, to be honest. I brought in all this great talent who was actually playing a lot of politics and empire building and making a mess of things, as happens in high growth startups, right? You're growing 300% a year. There's a lot of opportunity for that. I made just a lot of bad decisions. I didn't hire intentionally on culture. We didn't have a mission. We didn't have values. Lots of just poor decisions.
3: Yeah.
2: And how long ago did you make the change? Like, were you repented, if you will, and said, okay, enough of the ego. I need to build a better company. How how long ago was that? Or was that just a gradual, like you had a, did you have an awakening one day where you're like, I've seen the light. This is wrong.
0: Yep like most things it's gradually then suddenly. So there was lots of different moments. I started getting connected with other entrepreneurs who I think were much more soulful in their approach. And I learned how to deepen my approach and how to integrate my faith and my sense of purpose into what I do. Really though, it all came to a four in 2018. And we had some pretty big disappointments in the business. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm 12 years in to this company. Am I doing this with my life now? And I had already had the realization of we're not growing that fast. We're not that sexy of a company anymore. You know, we're not, gonna, we're not winning any more awards here. Like, what am I doing with my life? Is this hmm. my life purpose? Like, why am I doing this? To make money? Who cares? There's tons of ways to make money. I have money. And I realized, okay, if I'm not doing this for a deep, soulful reason, I need to just sell the company and move on. And I ended up going on a retreat and really trying to figure out is this what I'm called to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And that's when I really realized I've got to build based on culture. I've got to build based on mission. I've got to build based on the right reasons. And they might not lead to a huge exit. That might not lead to making tons of money. It might not lead to being famous. Who cares? But if I do the right thing for the right reasons to make an impact on people, I'm going to be satisfied. And I'm going to attract the right employee base who actually wants to do that. And we're going to build a company that can last for generations and make an impact. So that's really changed it.
3: I read an article uh, about you, UC Berkeley did of alumni. And and one of the things that talked about was one of your values is surrounding yourself with great people, which seems like, and that was actually a recent article, but you actually just articulated that that was one of the things that led you to this idea of uh, integrating all of these accolades more closely to your, to your identity or ego. So it seems like that thread has always been there. Surround yourself with great people, but maybe your definition of what defines great has changed. Is that true? What is it now that you're looking for in people as you're, as you're hiring and building your company?
0: Character first. So back then, we always had an idea of values. There was always some basic beliefs that we could agree on but the we didn't document it we didn't really interview very well for it and we definitely didn't make decisions based on it on a daily basis and i back then it was just like give me the smartest people i want the smartest people I'm like little ego is okay i don't want a-holes but i want the smartest people the most talented people and i still want really smart people and really talented people and i want people smarter than me but i also want people who care deeply about others I also want people who are scrappy and entrepreneurial and get things done and creative. I want people who are craft, craftspeople, who are, have a spirit of excellence in everything that they do, who are going to take it way further than, in, than any other normal person in a normal company would ever do because they care so deeply. So we look very intentionally on values, and I look really intentionally on the mission. Our mission to empower people to be creative and connect people deeply with the ones they love actually has a lot of layers to it. And I'm looking for people who are who actually really believe that loneliness is one of the great dangers and evils of our world and want to fight it, who believe that every person is born to be creative. And we have something we can add. I'm looking for believers in a sense, and in a vision, in a mission, in a purpose, because that makes a complete difference. So the third thing, which will sound ob- maybe obvious, I don't know, is team players. You know, I've realized that a great team. The whole is worth so much more than the sum of the parts. So I need people who can work really well with others and want to and love doing that. Highly collaborative, highly team driven, want to build for the collective result, not their own, no politics, no turf battles. I cannot abide that stuff.
2: So that sounds like a perfect person. Does that person exist?
0: <laughs> well, never, none of them are perfect, but yes, but I'm, you're right. It does sound pretty good, doesn't it? That's the company. It does.
2: Well, yeah. yeah. Well, well
1: and, and hiring, with
0: what you said,
2: way. well, there you well, go. Yeah, that's great. We have over a million listeners, so I'm sure you're probably going to get thousands of applications. You're welcome. And we don't charge for that. So with that, though, that really sounds simple, but it's a lot harder to do than, I mean, because again, I go, I can sit down with any entrepreneur. I mean, Bryce and I talked to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs all day long and they say all this. Like the rhetoric is all there, but it's in practice because again, I think egos at play. People really are like when you—I mean, again, seventeen years—that's you know you're in the salt mine still. But like, you know, people want to build their business to sell it. You know, you so it, so anyway. I mean, I just go, I just go.
3: I think what what to carry on that a little bit. You made the decision to to make the hard changes. I mean, I think what people miss is like ah, oh, that mission stuff, the vision stuff. That sounds great. Hire for people, character. To what Brian's saying, like people say those words a lot, but you, you were building this company, you were 12 years in and you turned around and you said, okay, what am I building this towards? Most people, and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs, they get to that point and they're just tired and they're like, well, I'll just build the next one the way that I think I should. And they just make the decision to, it's easier. The easier path is just cut your ties and and, and move on. But you, you didn't. So I have to imagine, like, could you talk, like, what was that like for you? To come back with a renewed sense of passion for this work that you had started, to have the the guts, in a sense, to to stick in and change that culture, and on the backside, that's where I think this award means probably more than the others because it's more of a it's more of a we did it, and we haven't arrived in a sense, but we at least. It was worth the, sh- the the struggle. What was that struggle like for you?
0: Well, there's lots of layers to that question.
3: And if you could also expand, like, what was the struggle like for you? And why should any of our listeners that are faced with that struggle step into that?
2: Yeah. Before you answer it, because I've had it pointed out before about, you know, about with your company, that you actually, like, you're you're on an aircraft carrier. And instead of building a new aircraft carrier for, you know, you changed... Like all of it while you're still at sea, which, you know, because how many employees did you have at 12 years? I mean, we only had maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 at that time. But that's still a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, anyway, so, so, because I, when someone explained it that way, I thought, wow, that is, that's a lot to think about of going, that's why people build new ships. They don't, they don't, they don't refit their, their old one. But so 12 years in, so, so give us some of that.
0: Yeah. So I think, The job of a leader always starts with the soul work, in my view. When you show up as a leader, your question each day, you're trying to inject energy and passion and vision in every conversation. You're trying to show people a future that they want to go to, but at the same time, you're listening and understanding and trying to figure out why are we rooted in the past? Why are we getting stuck? And that requires a lot of soul work, as I would say. Mm. So it started with that, you know, 2018, we had some real, real hard disappointments. And I actually went to this like Redwood retreat, I think I mentioned, and was journaling. And the mantra that I got back was, what I need to do is simple, love our customers, love our employees, love our community. It's all about love. And if I do that every day, we're going to get somewhere. And then I need to build on culture, but I have no idea how to do it. And I realized I'm stuck. The company's stuck because I'm stuck. I've not been growing as a leader. I've been rooted in an old identity as a serial entrepreneur, and I need to embrace identity as a leader building an enduring company with a healthy culture. So I just went and found every mentor I could find, every book I could find, because I realized I need help. And I actually would say all great change starts with that realization.
3: And having the humility, the teachability, which I think is a quality, oftentimes it's missing in a lot of uh, entrepreneurs which which is what I, one thing I look for is like do they, are they teachable I want them smart I want them confident but are they also teachable and that that's I think a, a, a distinction that I think uh, sets you apart
0: Yeah so then it sounds like oh so you just put values in mission and that's what people think and no it's actually it's very there's a lot of nuance to it the reason we didn't have values actually we tried to put values at the beginning and I remember reading about Enron and they had great values and you look at the outcome. And I was terrified of this. You've got the values on the wall and the actual reality is either they're ignored, best case, or they're laughed at and you do the opposite. And that terrified me because I thought if we do that, that's the worst of all worlds. So might as well have no values on the wall because at least then we won't, it won't be a laughing stock and it won't be something we just ignore, which is also stupid, but there you go. So when we actually came about, but real. But real, so I think, you know, 2018 was that realization. 2019 is when I actually found a lot of my, the answers. That's when we've got the right people in place. We hired the table group, Pat Lencioni's consulting group, a great now friend of mine, Chris Jensen, who's really helped us, actually continues to help us and put in place mission, put in place values. And a lot of times people talk about, oh, if a new CEO comes into such and such company, they're going to change the values and the mission. It's going to be so terrible. And I'm like, it's not so easy. If you're going to change the values in the mission, expect to trade out at least 50% of the company, the people, because a culture is people. That's all it is. And when you change the values in the mission, then the work becomes change the people and people are really hard to change.
2: You ran into that.
0: Oh yeah. Almost my whole top two levels of leadership swapped out. I mean, most of the company transitioned. Wow. And it was over a period of time, right? Like some people, many people will opt out like, okay, that's where we're going. I don't want to go. And if that's not happening, you're not communicating it strongly enough.
1: Today's financial institutions operate on a massive scale, and what used to be peer-to-peer practice, i.e. community lending, has developed into a large centralized system designed to facilitate the exchange of value. Our modern and now global financial marketplace has evolved from simple to complex, with more and more opportunities for using capital popping up every day. At Access Ventures, we envision a world where small business owners can access the capital they need to improve on their early traction, and where entrepreneurs can secure capital that works for their business by leveraging equitable collateral. Collateral that can be acquired regardless of class, race, and or gender. Over a period of eight years, from 2014 to 2022, we have modeled and tested our Growth Loan Fund. And over that time period, we loaned over a million dollars and activated and empowered a community of volunteers to serve as a loan committee and to support their fellow community members by saying yes instead of no when they needed capital. This playbook is an open source culmination of the steps we took and the lessons we learned in building a community-first character-based lending process. To learn more and begin your journey to character-based lending, you can download the playbook from the show notes. And now back to the episode.
3: I have to imagine when you're working at this point with some consultants helping you think through, they're being radically honest with you and saying, hey, this is what it's going to take. One, why did you press forward after being twelve years into this thing, the struggle of being an entrepreneur? I mean, that that's a real struggle in and of itself. Why did you have this this burning desire to make that change? And then how can some of our listeners who might be in that situation themselves, why should they press forward? I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is like more often than not, I just see people like Brian said, building other ships.
0: Yep. An author who's really inspiring to me is Simon Sinek. And he talks about the golden circle. And People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think for us in life, we've only got one life to live. And you can just follow whatever the opportunities are, but at some point you're going to have a wake-up moment where you're going to realize, okay, I'm X percent through my life now, and I haven't actually been owning this thing. I need to be choosing what I'm doing for a reason. And if I'm not, I better go figure out what is the thing I'm supposed to be doing that I want to be doing with my life. And that was my choice point, 2018. Once I made that choice, I had a 10 year commitment in mind. For 10 years, I'm gonna go and build this thing. For me, 10 years is my version of forever. So who knows, it's not actually, there's no intentionality around like in 10 years, exactly, I'm gonna stop it. That's not the point. It's more of I'm committed to this thing, now what? And what am I committed to? What is the impact Mixbook needs to make? What is the impact I need to make on our customers, on our culture and on our employees? And I realized, too, culture is a powerful thing. I know maybe I'm going off script from what you're thinking. Culture is a powerful thing. A bad culture, if you think about Enron, were they just like all evil people? These all just like a company full of devils? No, they're normal people like you and me. But a bad culture brings out the worst in people. And it will. I, bad cultures will make people worse at work and at home. Bad cultures will leave a trail of destroyed lives behind them. Great cultures can take mediocre people and make them great. I truly believe this, a great team. A great team is worth more than the sum of the parts. And that suddenly made me realize the job of a leader is so important. There's nothing more important for me to do than find people who are actually excited about the things I'm excited about and help them become the best versions of themselves along the way. That sounds amazing. I wanna do that. It starts though with having that passion because if you don't, you're not gonna be able to make it through that next. Ten-year commitment.
2: I've never been to a Tony Robbins before, but I feel like I'm I'm sitting with Tony Robbins right now because I just go everything you're saying is so simple, but then so hard to execute on. I mean, because you, it's really, I mean, it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of, I don't know, it's just way more than it. I mean, because all of it, you're just saying, you're like, yes. I mean, Bryce and I, anyone we talk to, they would say this of their company.
3: Well, and I think that's where requires the. Uh the internal fortitude, the the desire and the passion, the need to do, like, I have to do this. It seems like you really got to that place of like, I have to do this. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be tough, but it became a sense of urgency and a passion, which I think leads to my next question because, you know, knowing your background, knowing your upbringing, you know, son of a pastor, grandfather was a pastor as well what was it about your life? I mean, in two two instances. One, what 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 inspired you at an early age to kind of pursue what you did pursue? And then number two, it does seem, and correct me if I'm wrong, it does seem like at some point there was a bifurcation of who you were at work and who you were in home and, and those, meaning like what I'm hearing right now is an articulation of integration, where you're integrating who you are and what you're about into what you're doing in the world. Whereas before when you first started Mixbook, it seems like those were somewhat divorced. It seems like your impact and and who you were as Andrew LaFoon was maybe outside of Mixbook and Mixbook was the thing that you did and you were going to move forward and sell it. So I'm just curious if you ever recognized that about yourself and was that more of a cultural dynamic because you were in Silicon Valley and that's kind of what you did with tech and tech wasn't about impact. It's about making money and on to the next thing. So I'm really curious. Like in those two instances, like what what inspired you as you were growing up? Like what really gave you this passion, just for the world in general? And then, and then also, did you did you recognize that about yourself?
0: So growing up, I was a weird kid. I grew up in North Carolina, small town, tobacco farming town, and I was the kid. And all most of my friends were out playing sports and doing the things you do, in, in that area. And I was at home taking apart every bit of electronics in the house and trying to figure out how it worked and modifying it and. Putting it back together, it rarely ever worked again. So that my parents eventually uh, <laughs> got me a computer and said, here, why don't you take this apart and build this? And that, of course, was the beginning of a lot of fun things. I was always into technology and engineering and coding and tinkering and all of that. So I was a, I was a weird kid in that. And my dad pretty quickly identified, okay, you're not going down this like pastor route. You're going to be doing something different with your life. And, I, and he, was, 12, he was
2: okay with that.
0: Mm, Yeah, he was. He he just recognized I was different. And so he actually connected me with this entrepreneur. When I was 12, I went and hung out with a bunch of people at Duke University. And one of them taught me how to code, showed me the internet for the first time. This is 1994. And right at the beginning, and I was, and then gave me a series of books on tape from an Australian entrepreneur. And the book on tape series is basically like, if you're good at technology and business, then you're called to go and make an impact on the world because there's no better way to make an impact on the world than through building corporations. It caught me completely. I'm like, that is me. That is my calling. That is my life. That's what I'm going to do. So I ended up starting my first company in high school for that reason. Now, granted, that was a totally different thing. That was just designing websites for other local companies and that type of thing. It wasn't building some kind of venture scale. I do not even know about
2: VCs back then. How old were you, though? How old were you? I was 14 Wow! for that one. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) That is really awesome. Yeah.
0: As far as separation of personal and work, I never intentionally did that. I just didn't know how to integrate my faith Hmm. and personal beliefs into my work. I just, I didn't really know what that looked like. I just thought about that as being ethical, doing the right thing, treating people well. You know, my worldview is that all people are worthy of respect and love. So, okay, that's going to change how I affect things. That does change how I hire people. I really believed in the value of being intelligent. Like I had a lot of beliefs, but they weren't, they were just, you know, 22 year old Andrew. And as I matured and as I grew and as I got exposed to more uh, other entrepreneurs who were actually integrating their personal beliefs and their faith and that into their work and into their companies and how they build, I realized, oh, how much more is possible. And how much more fulfilling would it look like if my work was just an outflow of who I am, as opposed to being this separate thing? So yeah, I think it it was a maturing process.
2: What year did we meet?
0: 2014. So, and by the way, that was a huge turning point for me. Because before that, I really didn't understand the idea of work as human flourishing and as human flourishing for everyone you touch it's for the employees it's for the communities it's for the customers all three and that idea of work is good it's good
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: and you can do good it in good or bad ways but it's fundamentally what we're made for and the idea of you can actually create a culture the culture itself of the company can make a positive impact on the world even without all the other pieces the product and the profits and all that when you add it Across every lens, trying to actually make good occur, the impact scales crazy. And it's unlike a nonprofit. Sorry, now I'm preaching to the choir here. Unlike a nonprofit where you're always having to raise money to build things, the company is making money. And as a byproduct, good comes out. It's a machine that produces good. That's crazy to think about.
2: <laughs> That's so great. That's awesome. So, so this is because what I was going to say is, I remember you having the same, when I first met you, I remember you having the same zeal just for life and passion for your company. And that's why I was trying to think through what year did we meet and then how quickly after that did your, because I, th- I think there's always a spark of just good in you. Like you really did care about people. It wasn't like you didn't, you just evidently cared more about yourself than, than your employees or something. Because I just go, I still laugh going, you're still Andrew. Because you're just that guy, full of just you're full of zeal. So, yeah, yeah that that is that isn't that is incredible. And what like like how many children do you have?
0: Three kids.
2: And what's their ages?
0: Thirteen, nine, and seven.
2: And do you have any that are like you? I mean, are any of them taking things apart, putting things together? I would say. Ooh, that's a no. No, it's okay to say no. You got all football players. You got all sports. No. <laughs> the
0: sports is no. I would say they're all like me to different degrees, and none yeah. of them are me. But you don't really expect that, right? That's not what the the, the right, right expectation right, right, yeah, on yeah, your kids. Yeah. But uh, yes, I would say I think I've got probably a a super creative, a scientist, an engineer. Those are probably the three. Although they could all of them have so many different things they could do.
3: Right. So you're you're talking to a young entrepreneur. Or an aspiring entrepreneur, a young Andrew Lafoon, and you're like, "What would you tell them about the path of entrepreneurship?" Because it's sometimes we're on the other side. Business is good, culture is good, kids are good, all those things. But I remember the early days where you didn't even get a paycheck, and here you are, 17 years in. You thought you were building. Like, what would you what would you tell? Like, what what, what would be some words of wisdom for for an aspiring? young entrepreneur, why, why should they still pursue that path?
0: Well, there's a bunch of layers here. So one thing is entrepreneurship is worth it because I, I view that if you are a person who wants to make a positive impact in the world, your best shot is through creating something. Now, you don't have to do that in a startup, but a startup tends to be the place where ideas can really flourish. Now, it's hard. It's much harder than doing it from a big company. But a big company, your idea or your passion, most likely you're never gonna see it happen because it'll get killed through politics. There's so many reasons. There are plenty of examples where it can happen. But I think if you've got a passion and a vision of something to build and change in the world, you may be called to be an entrepreneur. And the key thing is, the key thing you need is persistence. You need that grit and tenacity to see it through. The second key thing you need is people around you who are going to cheer that vision on and when you're having a tough time and you'll have a lot of tough times, they need to be, you need to be calling them because you can't do it alone. No way. Not possible. Or if it is, it'll destroy you. And, uh, it will not be fun. Those would be like the top two things. I don't know. There's probably a third, but
3: well, that's, I mean, on the other side of that, like as, as the leader of a company, and especially for the last 17 years, how have you been able to stay as healthy as you are? You know, mentally, emotionally, what are some of the practices that you, the rhythms that you have, that have helped you stay grounded and focused and, and still passionate for the work that you're doing?
0: Uh, there's a lot of things. I uh, one of the things I think about is habits are compound interest. Hmm. Good habits will change you, but it doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. So habits is one piece, and I'll talk about that in a second. The key, actually, it's probably a combination of habits. And mentors. So, habits for me, you know, I've got this weekly habit where I sit in a coffee shop every Monday morning for two hours and just journal around what's going on in my life. What am I grateful for? What am I worried about? What would I do if I wasn't afraid? I have a set of about 10 or so questions that I go through every week and just sit there with my journal and pray and write and think and dream. And the output of that is, what do I need to focus on this week? But there's also a lot of other outputs. What are the big observations and insights? What did I learn about myself? What did I learn about my wife? What did I learn about my team? What do I need to do with these these insights and observations? And those are the things, those little small actions have massively changed my life. Mentors, number two. I currently have two coaches, on and off a therapist <laughs> as well. <laughs> yep. And I'm also part of two different CEOs groups, just like the advantage you have with having peers and mentors is completely unfair versus someone who's alone they have no chance no way mm. no way and two you, coaches two coaches
2: <laughs> yep. at, at the same time so you don't you, you run them simultaneously so they they both coach you at the same time
0: uh not at the same like actual time but yeah
2: them no, no 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 but each.
0: yeah yeah yep. yeah
3: and do they have a different so i i, I want to press there a little bit do they have a different Goal with you, like if one coach focuses on this, another coach focuses. Or are they pretty similar, and you're just looking for additional insight, or what? What does that look like?
0: They're different, quite different. Okay. One is more like my leadership culture coach from Table Group, and he's my okay. coach, but I also he's doing a lot of other things within the mm-hmm. mixbook context. And the other is more like my personal growth
2: coach.
3: Awesome, yeah, that makes sense. That's good. That's good to hear. And I'd be curious, real quick, before we move on, I if you'd be willing, I'd love to help our, because our listeners sometimes, people don't know what to ask themselves. So if you really have these like 10 questions or so, and and you'd be willing to share them, I'd love to put them in our show notes so people could also uh, incorporate that into their lives as well.
2: The other thing, Bryce, that, that struck me going, so, um, you know, we get thousands of letters every week from listeners. It's just crazy. But (laughs) I, I was going to say the thing that's interesting is I think parents are always trying to think about their children. And to me, it's that great. When you think about what your dad did by sending you to Duke at that age, because it's that thing going, we're always going to be the primary caregivers, primary leaders, you know, teachers, all that stuff to our children. But going, think about for us going, how do we find these other mentors, in a sense, going, think of the inspiration that you received. And really, you are where you are today because of that guy who gave you that series by showing you how to code and, you know, all that stuff. I'm just like, that's the kind of stuff as parents were like, that is gold right there.
3: Mm-hmm. That is gold.
0: 100%. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still in touch with that, with my friend Don, because he was
2: that key turning point in my life. Oh, that's have, awesome. Have you... What was that person's name? Don. Don Shin. Don. I, I hope Don doesn't listen, but you probably should give a little bit of money to that guy or maybe some ownership in <laughs> the company. That's just me. I mean, it's a little bit like Nike. A little
3: advisor share or something like that. Yeah, you know? exactly.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah.
3: Andrew, we could talk. I mean, this has been one inspirational to me and just thankful that, you know, we're friends and we get to see each other when we do. But I, I'm curious, seventeen years in, I'm sure the vision for your company has changed. I'm just curious as we kind of wrap things up. What are you what are you building towards now? Like what is what is the thing that, that drives you forward that gets you the most jazzed about Mixbook for the future? Yeah.
0: Rewind five years. My thought was ten year vision. First we need to build on culture. Then we need to build for the future. I think I may have mentioned I'm a technology guy. and In the pursuit of leadership, I thought, you know, I don't know if I'll get to get back to the cool technology. It'd be great if I did. But the key thing is the impact on people. And luckily, we're getting back to the technology too. So Mm. we ultimately mixed book. Today, we produce photo book companies, right? We're the number one rated company in photo books. What the company really started in and the root of the company was actually the idea of storytelling and storytelling that brings people together. And it turns out photo books are one way of telling stories, but they're not at all the only way. The problem we have is we take a lot of photos. They're all stuck on our phone. The problem we have is that storytelling is freaking hard. takes way too much work. And the average person is not very good at it. And the problem we have is that people are lonely and disconnected. You know, you might use your photos to connect. Photos are a great way to connect because they remind you and connect you to the people that you love. But on social media, it's kind of just likes and comments and 15 seconds of fame. So for us, we have this vision of building something much bigger, the future of how people tell stories with their photos and using that to connect both physically and digitally. And the technology that recently has been coming out is going to enable that to be completely different and far faster than we thought. Generative AI. That's awesome. We already use AI heavily in the business, right? Trolling through your photos to figure out who are, which are the best photos figuring out which are the people that you care the most about, figuring out occasions, helping you find trips, all that stuff. But with Generative AI now, we can do so much more to make storytelling easy. And I don't want to give too much more away from it than
3: that. But That's exciting. That's really exciting.
2: Very exciting. So things I wrote out about you is I just go, you have an incredible heart and just the way that you see the world. You have zeal and passion. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have great zeal and passion. And you're also a person of action where I just go. And I know that it comes in waves and stuff because I want to tell people like he is not perfect, far from perfect. But I've just seen you just over and over again, just genuine kindness towards people.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of More Than Profit. I know there are many amazing takeaways from Andrew. I hope you remember that habits are a compound interest in the importance of building a culture of love as you lead your team and company forward, and make sure you check out Mixbook.com. To stay up to date with More Than Profit, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a review so others can find us as well. Don't forget to check out our new website at morethanprofit.fm, where we have additional content and past episodes, and we'll be posting some exciting news about upcoming live More Than Profit events. You can also learn more about what's ahead by following us on Twitter at listen underscore MTP. More Than Profit is a production of Access Ventures and is hosted by Bryce Butler and Brian McKay. Our executive producer is Crystal Esquival and our associate producer is Bryn McKay. Audio production assistance is provided by Resonate Recording. Our theme song today was No Man's Land by Slapstorm. I'm Bryn McKay and you've been listening to More Than Profit.